Is This Music, a podcast about the psychology and sociology of musical taste, why we love the music we love and hate the music we hate. When I was growing up, the Harder They Come soundtrack was kind of a classic reggae compilation from the mid-70s with Jimmy Cliff, Desmond Decker, Toots and the Maytals. Uh, was a huge part of my uh, musical world and it's still one of my favorite records to this day but somewhere along the way I fell out of touch with reggae as a genre and I have to confess that for the last at least decade when I hear a contemporary reggae or dance hall song on the radio my inclination is just to change the channel this doesn't connect with me somehow and that's why I wanted to talk to my guest on the show today, Aaron McLeod. Aaron's a writer, among other things, the author of Visions of Zion, Ethiopians, and Rastafari in the Search for the Promised Land, and someone who's written about Jamaican music for many years, not only with a lot of expertise, but also with this amazing enthusiasm that I always appreciated. And so I figured she could uh, talk me through a little bit of what this music is about and where it's coming from. Uh, it's a really interesting conversation, and I think whether you're a fan of reggae and dance hall, uh, or a casual fan, or a non-fan, you'll find uh, out some pretty interesting info, as I did. So, enjoy the show. Aaron McLeod, you're my guest on the program. Thank you for being here. You're very welcome. I'm very flattered. Um, so, you're a bit of an expert in uh, contemporary reggae, dance hall, Jamaican music. You've been published in uh, Guardian, Pitchfork, Rolling Stone. You're, you're a bit of a you're a bit of a scholar almost of the genre, I would say. Um, I I would say I would say that I might hesitate to use the word contemporary because um, it, it really does take a lot of time and energy to keep on top of the huge amount of music that comes out of Jamaica specifically and then all of the music that is influenced um, by Jamaica made in other countries. Um, so I think in recent years I have become not as up on it as in the past, but uh, it still is one of my favorite um, genres of music. It isn't the only music I, I listen to, I would say, but um, I have been privileged to be able to write about reggae and dance hall and specifically sound system culture for a number of different places and for that I am eternally thankful because it's I would say some of my favorite kind of music so yeah that's cool so um what happened to make you uh be less on top of it in the last few years well getting older I suppose <laughs> it would be a main a main thing it's um, and having a, a, a range of uh, different different priorities, um, but also, you know, I think that recognizing that um, music journalism is uh, is something that I love doing, but 
really by necessity kind of had to become a hobby as opposed to a main a main focus i mean for many for many years um i my work in music journalism was for the montreal mirror and i wrote for the montreal mirror every week uh, reviewing records interviewing people coming to town um, a, a range of different genres, uh, reggae and dancehall being two, but um, also writing about um, other sorts of artists, uh, and local and otherwise. But of course, about, I guess it was almost a decade ago now, uh, The Mirror went under and frankly, many, many, many other publications followed suit. I since then have still continued writing but in terms of it being as much of a focus of my life and of my income it just plain and simply uh, hasn't hasn't been able to uh, be that much of a focus and so by necessity then you have to focus on on other things that being said um, I do try to listen to as much music as possible and, uh, and of course um, maintain a connection with with Jamaica. I mean I, I lived there for four years, I worked at the university there and so the music does definitely keep me connected to the space but also my, my friends um, that I keep in contact with there. They also assist in helping me to to keep on top of things as much as as much as is humanly possible given the situation. Yeah. So you said earlier, um, you you sort of made the the fine point of like y you've written and you know about reggae and dancehall, but you 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 specifically said sound system culture. Can you can you tell me a little bit about what you mean by that? Well. I grew up in Oshawa, Ontario, and which is, if people are not familiar, it's just outside of Toronto. And uh, Toronto, of course, is a, I mean, arguably Toronto is a Caribbean city. Um, the amount of Caribbean culture and the range of different um, island cultures that exist in Toronto is quite astounding. And so there is a lot of access to different kinds of music. Um, when I was when I was growing up, I was particularly interested in uh, punk rock and ska. And when you're interested in punk rock and ska, you very quickly learn that um, ska comes from Jamaica, and that kind of led me into sort of experiencing music live, and. Then I found out about, once I was in, um, in university, I sort of got into rave culture because it was the 90s. And then in the same way that, you know, you realize that punk and ska, you know, there's, there's root, roots in Jamaica um, with rave culture, there's also roots in Jamaica. Um, and so as a result, I wanted to know more um, and so through listening to um, music like Jungle, um, you know, I, I became interested in 
sound systems and sound system culture. I often say that a lot of people I know, especially a lot of white people, white folks get into reggae. We normally get into it through Bob Marley. Um, whereas I became obsessed with uh, reggae music because of stone love and sound system culture and wanting to hear um, music played on a, a, a Jamaican style sound system, which is exactly what you would think of if you just think of the concept of what a sound system is, i.e. it's a system that plays sound and just make it big and um, different sound systems in Jamaica um, are traditionally built and uh, run by sound system operators. And then there are selectors, which is the Jamaican term for, I guess, what in North America we would call DJ, who select the, the, the songs on the sound system. And then they are sort of famously referred to as mobile discotheques. You can set them up anywhere to create a dance hall space anywhere and um, and that's what happens in Jamaica it also happens um, around the world in many other places where um, the Jamaican diaspora exists and where sound system culture is something that people people are interested in and that um, ability to kind of create a space for music um, of different of different types I mean primarily Jamaican music but sound systems can play a range of different music um, that to me was one of the most um, exciting things and it is clearly sort of the roots of of rave culture the idea of sort of taking over a space creating it into turning it transforming it into something else um, for the space of uh, a particular period of time and having that relationship between a sound system and a crowd or the sound system massive, the group of people that are there and uh, this real kind of act of cu the curation of music for that space and the, the excitement and the energy and the emotion that comes out of that to me has always been um, the, I guess, the best, I think, just the best way to listen to music ever. I uh, I love the uh, the fact that you know Jamaica is so small, but but their impact on music is so huge. Do you know historically like how that came about? Um. Well, I mean, I I guess like in a nutshell, I mean, I could give you a whole list of fantastic um, Jamaican music historians that. Uh, that, that talk about the development of this. Um, Sonia Stanley Naya, Carolyn Cooper, um, they both do a lot of, of discussion of the development of dance hall music and the development of that dance hall space. Sonia Stanley Naya has a great book called From, From Slave Ship to Ghetto that is kind of explains really the roots of dance hall music. Um, and it's this idea of sort of people of African descent in Jamaica um, creating music and creating spaces for music has roots that go back hundreds of years to the time of um, colonial enslavement and then developing over time. I mean, if we're talking about the connection to the sort of contemporary, I mean, most recently in terms of the direct development of reggae, came out of sound system culture in the 1950s of playing music 
um, for groups of people in Jamaica. Of course, you know, the, on a very practical level, um, you can play more in different music on a sound system than if you have a band and it's practically inexpensive as well. And so the types of music that uh, people were um, were playing were sort of rhythm and blues from the United States and some calypsos, etc. And really turning it up loud, turning up that, that bass loud, and that kind of influenced the development of a range of genres of music, whether it was ska and rock steady through the 60s, steppers and, and uh, reggae in the the late 60s early 70s I mean I'm not the I'm not a I'm not a historian I'm just someone who really loves the music but uh, and then you you have the development of studios um, where people are recording music that then is played on the sound systems and because Jamaican music is built around um, a studio system where people create uh, rhythms, spelt R-I-D-D-I-M-S, or sort of instrumental tracks that are then voiced in different ways by different artists. So you might have the same instrumental track with m many, many different voicings. Um, you, you have a country that is extraordinarily prolific in terms of producing music because every instrumental track can produce many, many, many songs. And given that it's a whole industry that has traditionally been built around singles um, and developing um, a, a range of, uh, of singles to meet the demand of sound system culture, you constantly have um, new music being, being produced I wanted to get back to the the rhythms because that's such a fascinating thing to me. And I remember hearing that years ago that, you know, uh, one rhythm will come out and it'll be become incredibly popular so that, you know, all the songs or half the songs on the top 10 are, are just using the same beat with different people singing over it. Do you know how that how that came about as a as a phenomenon? Um. As a phenomenon, uh, the idea of the rhythm, again, this is all about practicality. Um, the, the fact is, you know, having a band is more expensive than developing a new song wholesale over and over and over again. That's, that's more expensive than recording one instrumental track and then being able to have potentially infinite numbers of songs on that instrumental track. The limit is the creativity of the vocalist. And then also the creativity of the producer who can take that instrumental track. And this is where you have, you know, sort of the advent of, of dub who can play with the, the sounds of that um, instrumental track to um, make it into something something new just by making a range of different types of uh, of uh, production um, adjustments. Again, out of out of out of necessity, out of demand. You have sound systems that want music and need music to play for people, and so that's why in the 1960s and 70s you you see this system starting that really kind of fuels a whole a whole scene. Right. Um, so you talked earlier about um, the early days of reggae, and I remember years ago, because I, I tend to be more into old school mm -hmm. 
across all genres, uh, if I'm being honest. <laughs> That's a different psychological topic to explore, I guess. But um, I I was asking you for some recommendations uh, of, of old school reggae, and you sort of deferred or demurred and basically said that old school is not your uh, forte. So <laughs> I'm curious about what's the era that you sort of come on board with the genre? Was it the contemporary stuff that was playing when you first got into it? Um, I would say that, you know, my my love of uh, Jamaican music in general um, and like real passion for it as much. And I'm not going to say I don't love I don't love ska. I'm not going to say I don't love Rocksteady. I'm not going to say that I don't love um, some of those amazing, amazing recordings that come out of the 1970s. But um, really, it's when um, King Jammy's Slang Tang uh, from 1985, that rhythm that uh, sort of changes everything for many people <laughs> um, and for me especially. It's a, you know, sort of a, a, a three note, three note rhythm that was uh, initially sort of produced from a, as a, based around a Casio preset that becomes this first major, um, as they say, digital or computerized rhythm that is sort of seen as the watershed moment in the development of uh, sort of digital dancehall reggae. And so it's kind of that that moment and then all of the music that then it, the explosion of music that comes from that. Um, and I was, again, lucky enough to be part of in, back in the early 2000s, um, the production of a book about uh, King Jammy that was the expansion of a fanzine made in Finland. Um, then we ended wow. up with, I mean, that's sort of the basis of my, of my love for, for Jamaican music comes from that period and then moving up to and including, including today. So stuff that is played in the dance hall. Um, I love especially nineties dance hall music. Um, early two thousands, I think is, is, is really great. There's some wonderful stuff from about a decade ago, um, yeah, I mean, I would say dance hall is the the stuff I'm the most the most passionate about. Yeah, I I, I, really, I listened to the um, King Jammy song today because I was doing a little research and it said that it was seminal, and uh, it's it, the musically it's incredibly simple, and uh, production wise it's very cheapo sounding. But I mean, I love those those elements. That's what I love too. I mean. Um, I'm a member of a, like a sort of, well, it's like a book club for music. Every week we get together. It's like me and a bunch of people from across North America. We get together and we talk about music and we focus on different things and just bring songs for other people to hear. And this, just this past week, um, I brought, um, a King Jammy production because we were talking about producers. Who's your favorite producer? And of course, I mean, I have no other answer other than King Jammy, um, and so I, I played a song called uh, La by Johnny Osborne. It's just a song that the moment you hear it, it, it's begged to be played very, very loud. And as I say, like, it's really just like a lot of Jammy's productions. It, it is very spare, but it's so interesting. And it just has this incredibly unique, engaging sound. And 
when you, you can go on, on YouTube and you can look at, there's a wonderful video of, of this song being played at a sound clash between uh, King Jammy and Jack Scorpio in 1990 in, in London, England. And the moment Watalala comes on, the entire crowd goes absolutely like they're just extreme responses to this song, jumping up and down, screaming, dancing. And th- that's what I think is so wonderful about dancehall is that it elicits, it elicits this kind of, of, of reaction that's just unbridled enthusiasm for, for music. Do you uh, do you feel like because you talked about the the sort of context for when you got into the music, but was there a moment like that that you felt that sort of musical musical ecstasy for the first time that you remember? Um, I think that you know, I I was in I was in Jamaica. Uh, we had been there for a couple of weeks, and there was um, a sound system. Um, event at a car lot and it was happening sort of in the middle of the day sort of like late Saturday afternoon they were starting it and we got there and we were of course early um and Stone Love that was the sound system was setting was setting up and they were stringing up everything and it was at a car lot and so the moment that they turned on the sound and put the first the first record on it was just the sound of the bass was so loud that all of the car alarms went off in this car lot. Oh, wow. And that's, you know, when I sort of realized this, I, the goal is to hear music like this on a sound system like this as often as possible in my life from, from then moving forward. And so that is and then and also to try to share it with as many people as I possibly can because it's just I really feel uh, there is something about being in in a space like that right um you talked before about how a lot of people um you know get their first exposure well a lot of white people as you say uh first get their exposure through like Bob Marley um and uh you know, I would say similarly, a lot of what what uh, outsiders associate with the culture is like the Rastafari religion. Um, but from what I see, that's not so much a, a theme in the, you know, as the dance hall uh, tradition goes along, it's less and less of a part of it. Yeah, I mean, um, I spent quite a bit of time uh, thinking about uh, Rastafari. Um, you know, I did my PhD research on the Ethiopian perception of the Rastafari movement, and so I spent a lot of time in Ethiopia um, and talked to a lot of uh, Rastafari there. I was kind of interested in uh, the the way that um, Rastafari, as an incoming immigrant population, were viewed by the Ethiopian sort of a, the multi-ethnic Ethiopian uh, society. And so I, I therefore, by necessity, had to learn a significant amount about, about Rastafari. And there are Rastafari, you know, musicians that, and singers and artists that, that make dance hall for sure. I mean, there's a, there's a large number of them, but, uh, it, but reggae is really the, 
I mean, reggae music, you don't have to be um, Rastafari to, to, make, to make reggae, but the music itself um, is popularized and rooted in arguably uh, Nyabingi drumming, which is the, the drum... Um, the drumming uh, ritual and style of uh, of Rastafari of of certain um, mansions of Rastafari, and so there is a direct connection that can be made uh, between Rastafari and and reggae music, and obviously as the number one person to have popularized reggae, Bob Marley, uh, as identifying as Rastafari therefore sort of continued and really concretized that connection between Rastafari and uh, reggae music. But dance hall um, is something, because again, it's about a space, right? It's not just a genre of music, it's, it's a space. So um, dance hall kind of takes all kinds and it really depends on what the sound system is playing. Like you can be at a dance hall event and the the sound system is playing Celine Dion. You can be at a dance, dance hall event and the, the sound system is playing Janis Joplin or is playing Beyonce or is playing Buju Banton. Like there's a range of, of different types of, of music and it's still a dance hall event. You, uh, you mentioned um, the different styles of music that get played there and I remember like back in the days of the mirror you wrote this great article about going to a Celine Dion concert in Jamaica yeah and then more recently you wrote for the Guardian I think about the popularity of easy listening in Jamaica and I, I found both those things kind of surprising but in a in a in a fun way no, I mean, I think that one of the, the great things that I, I learned um, spending time in Jamaica is that this, this idea that, that I think that exists within North American and perhaps in general Western culture of this concept of the guilty pleasure, like why should there ever be any guilt if there is pleasure? If you enjoy music and you enjoy listening to a particular singer, a particular genre, a particular style, a particular song, there should be no guilt in that. Um, and if, and, and where does the guilt come from? Like, cause that's the kind of the, the question that uh, I would be asked in, in Jamaica when I would say, well, you know, in Canada, people don't really like Celine Dion. Well, what, what's the problem? You know, this concept of, of kitan, for instance, or kitschiness doesn't doesn't really doesn't really exist. If it's a good song, it's a good song. And that stuff is outside of the song's goodness. Mm -hmm. So and and because and I would say sort of arguably because the whole of Jamaican music has been built around really amazing singers and vocalists. If someone is a great singer, a great vocalist, then that's something that is deeply appreciated in the dance hall, in the space where the music is, is, is being played, there's an appreciation for a really good song. And if that really good song is by Shania Twain, then that really, that's, that's a really good song. Absolutely. Um, well, I couldn't agree more, um, but you, you asked this rhetorical question or a question that people asked you about uh, where does the guilt come from in the guilty pleasure? Have you reflected on that? Where do you think it does come from? I 
mean, I think it comes from, I think it comes from, you know, sort of canonization, right? Like, I, I and, and, and I think that it, I mean, I don't think I'm, I'm putting too, too fine a point on it to say that, you know, colonialism does that. Colonialism suggests that there are good things and there are bad things. And that there are certain things that we, we decide are, are good music and then there are other things that we decide are not. And, uh, and, and I think that one of the wonderful things about the, the dance hall space is that it's not about rarities. Um, it's not about, you know, one person holding all of the authority it's about a relationship between the, the group of people that are there, the massive, the, the people in this dance hall space and the selector and this kind of back and forth. When it's a sound clash, it's a back and forth between two sound systems. And who judges that? It's the crowd. It's the people that are there. So it's this idea of a relationship that is created. And it's not this kind of idea of the DJ as being on high playing music um, for for the people who are just supposed to appreciate the, you know, the amazing knowledge of of the DJ. It's as I say, it's a, it's a relationship. The DJ does want to introduce, the selector might want to introduce some new songs. So the, the selector then sort of figures out a way to do that, that engages with the audience. That isn't this, uh, you know, this idea you hear so often about DJs like, oh, well, I don't take requests. Well, I mean, the whole of, of dance hall is all about ensuring that the request of the the massive that's gathered in the space is being respected you know and and right. and i i really appreciate that and i do think that there is some sort of you know like the 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 way that um you know the way that colonialism shapes uh, literature art music etc really has created these notions of taste that should be constantly up to question all the time. Sure, sure. So, um, I mean, you've made you've made a really great, uh, you know, passionate argument. Um, I wonder, uh, is there any music that you find like that you struggle with, like irrationally not getting or not liking? Music that I irrationally do not get or do not like. I try to. I try to be as open-minded as I possibly can um, to to music. I am someone that really just I love music, and I love what I love most of all is I love when people get really excited about music um, and enthusiastic mm -hmm. about music, and that is something that can that can really uh, allow me to appreciate um, a range of of different things that I might not expect which is a, another thing about this, this music group that I'm a part of. People will bring music to, for, to listen to, and um, I'll initially think, oh, I don't want to hear that. And then after I hear the person's enthusiasm and explain why they like it, then you can, kinda, you can kind of gather that sort of infectious enthusiasm and, and have it fuel your listening experience. Um, totally. But uh, I guess if there's a kind of music that I'm not, I mean, things I don't understand. 
I don't understand Radiohead. How about that? I'll give it that. I don't understand Radiohead, the passion that people have for Radiohead. Um, mm-hmm. I have, I've never really, I've never really understood that, but I, but I respect the fact that people really like them. You know, I, I'm not going to go around and saying, oh, they're, they're terrible. Um, um, yeah, I, I know what you mean. And I, I've always f- felt that like, they seem pretty good and they yeah. have a, a, you know, a handful of good songs, but, but yeah, I, like you, I'm a bit confused at the, the worship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't really, I don't really get that, that whole sort of you know obsession but i mean i know a lot of people like some of my best friends are huge radiohead fans so you know it'd be something like that that i that i don't under that i don't really um understand it's really hard because i like i like a lot of stuff um it's good yeah yeah it's cool i um i think that's the right way to listen to music and i always remember like you know i always thought of you as this sort of dance hall expert and then I remember you writing something really um, kind of inspired and uh, about the tragically hip. <laughs> yes. And I was really surprised um, because I would never have guessed that you were into the hip and you sort of spoke about them as enthusiastically as you do about the latest dance hall hit. And uh, I was really surprised at first, but then I was like, well, that's, a, that's really cool. It's such a genuine like appreciation that comes through. Well, I mean, I think that like, and I know a lot of, a lot of people I know really don't like, for instance, soca music. Um, They find it a little bit too extra, you know, but I mean, it's supposed to be extra because it's carnival music. Um, And as soon as, and I, I, I say this to anyone who has heard soca music or frankly, any kind of carnival music and finds it a little too much. All you have to do is experience the, the, the carnival space just once and you kind of get it. Like you get why, you know, the, the excitement and the enthusiasm is there. And I, I remember being in, in Trinidad, I had the opportunity to write um, an article, a uh, travel article uh, for the New York Times about, about Trinidad and sort of Trinidad's cultural offerings. And um, I took part in a... Uh, a stilt walking workshop like by this group of people I thought there's no way I'm going to be able to get up on on stilts and they were playing soca music and what they said is what will allow you to do it is if you listen to the music and you move your feet to that that rhythm then you'll be able to stay up on stilts it's totally well, true. Cool. It's absolutely totally true. The it's rhythm... a rare example of music having a really distinct practical function. Yeah, like and and as you because your balance to stand on stilts, you're just going to fall over. But if you keep moving, then you're able to stay up. You know, so I mean, it does have a really practical function, and that and the and the rhythm also keeps people going, whether you're on stilts or you're on the road for the you know, the eight to 10 hour road march that happens for two days in a row every February, March, um, you know, it keeps people going. It keeps people motivated for that, for that carnival period. And so even like music that I do, I do recognize that again, like some people find a little bit extra. I mean, you're not going to listen to it to go to bed, but, uh, it, it, there's a reason there's a reason for it and i think that that's like the the key the key thing is that um 
I find that the more you learn about people who make music, the more you're going to like, like and appreciate the song or the, or the genre. And I, and I kind of feel like a responsibility, especially as someone, you know, who, who grew up in Canada, you know, that, um, I had the opportunity to be exposed to all of all sorts of different types of music and all sorts of different types of experience to invest time in, in, in learning about it and figuring out, you know, where it came from and listening, not just to the music, but listening to the, the stories of the people that, uh, that make the music. And I think is really, right. I think is really important for sure. Well, uh, listen, I think we got a lot of good stuff here. Uh, thank you for, uh, I hope so. For, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I say anything interesting. <laughs> no, definitely. Definitely. A lot of interesting things. Thank you, Aaron McLeod for being on the show. This has been the latest episode of What Is This Music? I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you'll uh, continue to tune in. You can find me, Malcolm Fraser, on all the social media. You can find uh, the What Is This Music podcast on Facebook. And uh, yeah, if you like what you hear, uh, tell a friend. See you next time.